I wonder if you've ever been lost. Has anyone, has anyone ever been lost? Or Yeah? Okay. Has anyone ever lost something really valuable? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I, um, I don't remember this, but, but my mum tells the story of when she lost something really, really valuable. Her little baby boy, me. Apparently, apparently mum, was, mum went down to the shops and um, uh, we had one car in those days and dad had the car at work. So mum put little, little baby Murray in the, in the pram and uh, pushed him down to the local milk bar. Do you remember the local milk bar? They used to be around one day, years ago. Took you down to the local milk bar and she did all her shopping and, and worked out what she was buying, the bread and the milk and what have you, and got it all, <clears throat> got in her bags and paid the, the guy and got home and got to the front door and opened the front door, got the keys out and opened the front door and then went, milk, bread, baby. <laughs> and she left the baby, little Murray, she told me she didn't mean to, she said it wasn't on purpose, she left me in the pusher back at the shops. Now I have, I have never seen my mum run in her life, never, in the whole, apparently she turned around and she high-footed it and she ran all the way back there. And when she got back to the, to the milk bar, here's the milk bar owner with little Murray, nursing little, pushes there and nursing little Murray. Murray. Little Murray had no idea what was going on. He thought it was fantastic. But she said, as soon as she, she realised, she went to open the door and she realised that she lost her son. She left her son behind. She said the fear and the anxiousness and then the desire to get back to that milk bar as quick as she possibly could to get me, to find me. And, uh, and she did. And uh, she tells that story with a laugh now and, and often she'll say, you know, I wondered whether that was a good idea to actually go back. Once I was, particularly when I was in my teenage years and a little bit rebellious, she used to hold that over on me. I went back and got you! <laughs> she reminds me. When something's lost and, and, uh, and the way we go about it, you remember, on a more somber note, you remember um, Daniel... Morecambe and uh, on the Sunshine Coast in December 2003 and that little boy was went missing do you remember and and you know there were there were there were posters put everywhere and he was reported missing initially and you know there, there were volunteers from everywhere went went out searching for him they sort of worked out the last place that he was seen which was just under that little bridge near the, the bus stop and that, they were, people went out looking and they combed they checked playgrounds and they checked shopping centers and parks and people came from everywhere to help the police People were totally devoted to finding this lost little boy, this lost child. They had even they put, but they put things on milk cartons and they put posters everywhere. People wanted to do everything they could to bring that little boy home. And uh, and then later on, we obviously heard the, the horrific story of what happened there. But it's interesting when something of value is lost. We 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 go on an all-out search. We do everything we can to find what was lost. Just a moment ago, Alison and Peter read stories of the lost sheep and, and the lost coin, two parables that Jesus told back to back on his way to Jerusalem. Friends, I want you to understand that just like us, when we lose something valuable, we, we go on an all-out search. God, our Heavenly Father, is in the business of finding his lost children. God's continually looking for his lost children, continually on the journey of trying to find those who have moved away from him, those who he, he rephrases as, as being lost to him. And we know that he goes on this journey because right back at the start, right back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, you remember, those of you who have read that, the, the, the start of creation where Adam and Eve are on the earth, 
and they were walking around. And we won't go into the full story, but, but um, they started doing things in their own strength and started going against what God. They made one decision. And they, they didn't follow what God said about what they should do about this certain tree. And Adam and Eve were hiding from God because they knew what they did was wrong and they were hiding from God. And you remember, you know, that, that, that the Bible talks about that God in the coolness of the evening, in the coolness of the day, God's walking through the garden looking for, for Adam and Eve and, and they're hiding and, and he, he's calling out to them, where are you? Now he knew where they were. He knew what had happened. But he's calling out to them, where are you? Where are you? I, I don't want to be separated from you, God was thinking, God was saying. Come back to me. Why are you hiding? This is not right. This is not the way it should be. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we see God's desire to seek and save those who are distanced from him, to seek and save those who are lost. And we see it again in these two beautiful parables that we just heard. But interestingly, and this is the only time that I can see in the scriptures, there's actually a third parable. Jesus shares three stories back to back to back, right after each other in Luke chapter 15, to bring the incredible passion that he has for things that are lost to him and how important it is that, that people, that things, re, are reconnected with this loving God. We saw it in Luke 15 verses 3 to 6 where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. Think about that. He's got 99, he's got, he's got 100 sheep, one goes missing and he just goes, oh, I have to go and get the one. The one is important to me. And then he shares the story again. Jesus goes on. He talks about the woman who sweeps through the house. She's lost a coin, lost one coin. And she sweeps through the whole house until she finds the coin. And when she does, there's incredible celebration. Just like when the shepherd finds the sheep, he puts the sheep on his back and carries it home in celebration. And these stories remind us of God, how passionate God is for every single person who's part of the congregation of the human race shows us how much he loves you and me and every person who has ever walked this earth and he wants to bring everyone back to him he wants to bring everyone back to that to sit under this beautiful protective umbrella that is called the kingdom of god he wants us to step in with him and so we see this in the third parable and i want to read this third parable to you we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture this morning praise god now, we've read a bit of scripture already, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time now reading this third parable. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be great to get those out and, um, and read, that, read those together. We'll be on the screen if you're new and you haven't got your Bible with you, or maybe you're just checking out the faith. And hey, if you're here and you're just checking out the Christian faith, if you're, if you're just checking things out and, and you, know, you might even have a Bible, if you haven't got a Bible and you'd like one, come and see me afterwards. I would love to give you a gift of a Bible. Love to do that so that you can just start to take it home and read, get to know Jesus a little bit more. But I'm going to read, and it's referred to as the parable of the lost son. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want, to share, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the same time, about the time this money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. 
He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father saying, and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, but please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back from after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, but has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Father, as we unpack so much of this incredible parable, I pray that your Holy Spirit, whom we celebrate today, would speak into our spirits in such a way that we would hear afresh from you what you want to say to me personally, what you want to say to us personally. So as I, as I share out of your word now, Lord, not my words, but your words, not my meditations, but your meditations, could we leave this place more in love with you and more set free than we've ever been before? In Jesus' name, amen. There is so much, so much in this scripture, so much in these three parables. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of like, where do you start? But I want to I want to look at the father because really if, if you read the passage you understand that it's based around the father's perspectives on things and so I want to look at three or four things that that we learn about what happens to the father and the first one if you're taking notes do you notice the humiliation of the father oh wow I didn't think we'd go there Murray we do there's a humiliation of the father in verse 11 and 12 tells us a man had two sons and the younger one says to the father give me my share of the estate now and so the father divides his property between him. Now, understand in Jewish law, the oldest son gets two-thirds of the estate and the youngest son gets one-third of the estate. If you have two sons, that's how, that's how in Jewish law it works. Who's, who, are the, who are the firstborns in the, in the house? Don't you wish that was still around now? Yep. 
Oldest son gets two-thirds, youngest, youngest gets one-third. But in Jewish culture, the kids don't get the inheritance until the father dies. That's why it's called an inheritance. But the young son is basically saying, now grab this, the young son's basically saying to the father, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. I don't care about you. The only thing I care about is what should be mine, my money, your money. And money will fix my problems. Money will fix my issues. I need to go and live my life with your money that should be mine anyway. You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance and I'm out of here. I wonder how many today have had some rocky, tumultuous moments with a rebellious child. Tense times with one of our kids. You know, it's so heartbreaking when, when we see our kids either go off the rails or we see our kids responding in certain ways and we can't do anything about it. Many of us in this room don't need to show hands. Many of us in this room have been through that or some of us are right in that moment right now. I just want to say God is with you in this. God knows what's going on. Jesus knows what's going on. He's telling stories about the same sort of thing. It's heartbreaking. A child becomes tired of living under dad's rules. He thinks he knows everything. So he says, give me what I want and I'm out of here. Now, according to, <clears throat> excuse me, according to Jewish law, the dad didn't have to put up with that. He could have said, how dare you talk to me like that? You want your inheritance? I'll give you your inheritance. You know, he, he could have given a different sort of inheritance right there and then. And many of us, as we hear the story, would think, I know what I'd be giving him. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, and this isn't up on your screen, but it talks about the fact that if you don't obey your, child, your par- children, if you don't obey your parents, you can get dragged out in front of the community and get stoned. And for those teenagers in the room, that's not the sort of stoning you're thinking it means. <laughs> it's not a good thing. So in, in those times, in Old Testament times, that's just to be rude to your parents, not to, to disrespect your parents. You could be stoned by the community. They didn't mess around in those days. You mouth off to mum and dad, you answer to the neighbourhood. But the father in this story is gracious. Even though he's humiliated, he's gracious. And even though he's heartbroken and humiliated, he gives his son what he wants. Now understand that in order for the son to get part of the estate, something has to happen. Dad's got to sell the farm. See, in those days, they didn't have term to, I'll just go down to the bank and get my term deposit out. And, you know, they didn't have their money in, in money markets and term deposits. Their wealth was tied to their land. So the father probably would have had to sell the land just to give the younger son what he wanted and then just work the land for someone else. And again, if he sold the land, that would have gone public. Everyone in the community would be finding out what's happening in this family. And this is humiliation for the father story talks about how sometimes when we when people go against what the father's wishes are the father can appear to be humiliated it's a bit harsh when we think about when we go against the things of our god isn't it the next thing we see in this story is the separation from the father see in verse 13 it says the youngest son packed up belongings away and he set off for a distant country it wasn't like he's just moving around the corner to the little apartment around the corner and he'll, call, he'll come back home for meals and get his washing done. And, you know, how many know that's what happens? In, you know, is it just me that my kids do that? We want our independence. We're moving out just down the road. 
And they're back for meals. And they're back for washing. And anything else that they... No, maybe it is just me. <laughs> you know, when we try to walk away from God, often he says, okay, if that's what you want to do, you have free will. I'll give you that, just like this father did. He said, okay. And our God says, okay, go for it. I'll let you reject my love. So one day you might realize your need for my love. So he says, go and do life on your own. Even though he knows it's not the best way forward, this father says to his younger son, our heavenly father sometimes allows us to go off and do our own thing, even though he knows it's not the best. Because he desires for us to get revelation ourselves. So he says, go and do your own thing. See how you go. Someday you might see how much you need me. Someday you might see how much I love you. And verse 13 says the boy does just that. And he takes his money and he goes out and he spends it on partying. And he spends it on getting drunk. And for a while he's thinking, what a great life this is. How cool is this? You know that's what sin does, don't you? Initially, when we do things against God, initially there's a sense of, whoa, this is awesome. Initially. And then the consequences of those start to hit. So while he's thinking, great life, this is the life I've always wanted, I'm doing things my way, this calls for another beer. And off he goes, and on he goes. And that's what sin will do, and it'll hook you. And you think this is a good life, and you think this is right, and it hooks you into a lifestyle that leads you away from the things of God. And then the consequences hit, like what happens here. One day, he reaches into his pocket as he goes to the bar for another drink, or if he goes out to do another whatever he needs to do, and there's no money to pay the bar tab. He's out. And at the same time, the Bible says there's a severe famine that comes in, which causes starvation throughout everywhere. So he's out of money, he's out of food, and he's starving. Consequences of doing things my way. And he thinks, that's okay, that's okay. I'll just get a job working on a farm. I know how to do that. I know, I know all about working on a farm. I ran my dad's farm. You know, I was the man. I, I've got this covered. So he still wants to do it my way. But <laughs> the only problem is that the only work he can find is on a pig farm. Now, for those of you who understand the Jewish traditions, a Jewish kid is not supposed to be anywhere near pigs. Certainly shouldn't be working on a pig farm. Because according to Leviticus chapter 13, pigs are unclean animals for the Jews. And pig work is hard work. But I'll do things my way. So he goes and he starts working at this pig farm. And he's still getting hungry. And he hopes that the boss will let him eat food, even if it's the pig's food. He hopes that he'll get. And the boss doesn't even let him eat that. And he gets nothing. And for the first time in his life, this brash young man, who's trying to live life his way, who's trying to do things the way he wants to live, who's rejected the way that God wants him to live, realises that he's hit rock bottom and he can't save himself. He can't save himself. He realises, hang on a minute, no matter what I try, I'm not going to get myself out of this situation. I'm not going to get myself out of this circumstance. Friends, we can learn so much from this prodigal son in this moment. Rather than us having to go through all of that as we reject God and want to do things our way, or not even reject all of God, but just that part of God because I want to do this part. I want to live this sort of life. 
I want to. I, I love God, but you know what's wrong with what's wrong with sleeping with my girlfriend? She, you know, we love one another. I love God, but what's wrong with continuing to overeat? Or what's wrong with smoking? Or what's wrong, you know, treating my body badly? That, what, what, that's nothing. That's my choice. Or I love God, but but there's certain things about what God says that culturally doesn't go right anymore. So I want to change that. I want to change. I want to stay with culture. If we look at the prodigal son, he teaches us as soon as we do that, we're moving away from him and we're doing things our way and there's consequences. And prodigal son, if we look at his story, we don't wait until you hit rock bottom, until you realise how much Jesus loves you and how much you need Jesus, how much I need Jesus. Let's not waste life, our life flopping around in a spiritual pig pen when we could be living with communion of the Heavenly Father in every situation, every circumstance. In fact, I'd say in this moment right now, for some of us, even, even right in this moment as I share this story, some of us, it's time for us to come back to Jesus. It's time for us to, be, to step out of that spiritual pig pen and move towards our loving God again. And that's what this young man does next. So far we've seen the humiliation of the father, we've seen the separation of the father, but in verse 17 we see this young man's reconciliation with the father. He remembers that his father's servants always have food to eat. He remembers that his father always takes care of his workers. So the young man says, the young son says, I'll never be accepted back into my dad's family, but maybe I can come back as a hired servant. He says, I know what I deserve. I don't deserve to be part of the family anymore, and that's okay. But maybe I can just come back as a hired servant, so at least I can eat well, and sleep well. I'll go home and I'll say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please make me one of your hired men. So here's this young son. He's tired and he's dirty and his hair's all messed up and his beard's all messy and smelly and he's lost a whole lot of weight, raggedy clothes hanging off his body and he heads home. And there's probably an element of shame, but he doesn't care. He knows what he's done is wrong and he's heading home. And I love verse 20 because this gives us the picture of our loving God. As he's a long way away, the father recognises this shabby, dirty... As he's a long way away, far off in the distance, the father recognises him and his heart wells up with compassion See, he's been waiting by the side of the road every day for his son to come back. See, it says he was a long way off and he didn't look anything like himself. The only way that the father would know is every day he's looking for his son. Every day he's searching, will it be today that my son comes back? Will it be today that he comes? So it's not like, oh my goodness, who are you? So he's looking and he's searching and he's hoping and he's desiring for the son to come back. And so the father sees his son in the distance and he lifts his robes and you can just imagine the dad, he just he loses all his sense of dignity and he just and he runs down with his robes up and he's running to see his son and he grabs him and he hugs him. The Bible says he hugs him and he kisses him. Hallelujah. Praise God Almighty. My son is alive. My son is alive. Now, some of you know what it's like to be heartbroken because your child's not walking with God. And you know what it's like to, to be kept awake at night, wondering, hoping, maybe crying 
in your bed at night, wishing you could do something to bring them back to God. Can I encourage you, just like this father who never stopped looking, who never stopped loving, who never stopped praying, who never stopped hoping, and when finally the revelation came to the son and they returned to God, you'll get to celebrate too. That's a a trust and a hope and a faith we need to have in our God, that he will bring those prodigals back. Do you see that at the moment? Maybe not. Maybe they're doing the wild living. Maybe they're living in a pig pen existence, spiritually or whatever. I don't know what that looks like, but we have a hope in a God that says, I want to welcome you home. And we have to believe in faith that that's what will happen with our kids. Now, the son in this story was not expecting this sort of reaction. Filled with emotion, he's trying to remember this prepared speech. Remember the prepared speech? What I'll do is I'll go back and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer to be your son. And he's, he's trying to, to this speech that with the dad who's just kissing all over him and his dad just stops him. He dad doesn't even let him finish. And before he finishes, his dad says, quick, get the best robe. Get the ring. Put the ring on his finger. Put sandal on his feet. I am reinstating you into this family. I'm not taking you back as a slave. No matter what you've done, you're my son. God says to you and I, no matter what you've done, you're my daughter. No matter what you've done, I can't love you any less or any more than I love you right now. And there are some of us in this room that just, we just don't get that because we know what we've done. We know what we've said. We know how we've acted. God says, I know too, and I love you, and I accept you, and I want you to come home with me. You're my son. You're my daughter. And then he says, quick, get the fattened calf and cook it. So you can't help think, get the fat. They've been fattening up this calf. You can't help thinking that in faith, that's what the dad's been doing. He's been fattening up this calf ready for this moment, ready since the boys left. What a moment of joy. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, the Bible says, when one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. That's why in every one of those three stories of of the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, there's a celebration. The Bible says there's a party in heaven when one person comes back to the Father. It's like imagine it. Imagine it. Imagine imagine we're in heaven and and it's like there's a a banquet. There's a celebration. Heaven goes, wait. Everything stops in heaven and they look. And Murray goes, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm sorry I've been living this way. I want to come back to you. Will you forgive me? I, I, I want to be, I want to accept you into my life. I want to be with you. And it's like in that moment, the whole of heaven just, just erupts with celebration. And it's like there's, there's a banner over the, over the table. If you can imagine, there's a, there's a celebration table. There's a banner over the table and it's got your name on it because you've come back to be with the Father. But the story doesn't end there. The story says the father had two sons. This one son who went off, recognized and came back. And then there's the second son. And he's in the field. And this part of the father's journey, if you like, is where we see the condemnation of the father. You would think at this moment, like everything works really well and everybody's celebrating and everybody is except this other son who stays in the field. And when the older brother gets close to the house, he hears this celebration, he hears this commotion, and he, he gets one of the service boy, servant boys, and he says, what, what's going on? What's the noise? What's the celebration? And the servant says, your brother's come home, 
and your father's so excited. And we're throwing a big party. And you'd think the brother would go, awesome, we're back together as a family again. I've been praying for this moment for ages. But the scriptures say that he's angry and he refuses to go inside to celebrate. The older brother refuses to go inside. He's angry. You think, well, what's, what's going on there? What's this got to do with him? Wouldn't he be celebrating? And he says to the father, this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father says, son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. Let's look at three things that we can learn from the older brother because some of us may be sitting there going, I don't relate to the prodigal son. I've been brought up in a Christian home or ever since I've accepted Jesus into my life, I feel like I've always been close to him. I haven't been perfect. But maybe, maybe in some way you might relate to the older son. Three things that we can see in the older brother. One, he was a son who was living with the attitude of a servant. He was living with the attitude of a servant. It's not like a son embracing the things of being a son, but he was living with this attitude of, I'm serving my dad and I've got to do this for you. Look at it. Back in verse 12, when the father gave a smaller share of inheritance to the younger brother, the older brother would have got that other inheritance. The money's there. So he already has the two-thirds. He's sitting pretty. He's got two-thirds of the estate. So when the father says, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, everything really was his. He wasn't getting cheated. And yet, he's bitter because of the grace and the love that's been poured out on someone else. In fact, he's so bitter, he won't even refer to this, the the, the younger son as his brother. He refers to him as this son of yours. He doesn't even call him brother. This son of yours has come home. I can't believe you threw a party for him and not for me. Friends, one thing that will kill our relationship with God your relationship with God, my relationship with God. One thing that will kill it is jealousy and comparison. That's two things. Jealousy and comparison. As soon as we start comparing what God's doing for me with what God's doing with someone else, as soon as it becomes about not just this, but this and then, oh, yeah, but what about? You see, jealousy is not from God. That's a hook that the enemy uses. Comparison is not from God. Because we're all made unique in the image of God. God's thumbprint is on every single one of us, but it's a different thumbprint. Let me say that again. God's unique thumbprint is on every single one of us, everyone who's created, but it's unique. You don't have to compare yourself to the person next to you. I don't, because I am who I am in him. Yet the son, the older son doesn't get this. The older son is, is comparing with the younger son. He's, he's asking questions like, why was he blessed and I wasn't? Or maybe we ask, why do they have so many friends and I just don't seem to have friends? Why do they get the good holiday? I wonder how many of us, when when you hear about somebody going on an overseas holiday or buying a brand new car or or something, I wonder if your first response is, that is so cool. I'm so pleased for you. Or maybe deep down your first response is, oh, what about me? I I wouldn't mind a holiday like that. How can he afford a holiday like that? How can she? You know, it's that nature of comparison and jealousy that can creep in? Why did he get the promotion? I deserve the promotion. And maybe you do. But where does that land? What leads that? What, dies, what, what hook is happening in your world right there? Is that being led by God? Is that a God response? Or is it something else in that area of your life? 
When I hear this in the church, when I, when I see comparison or I see jealousy in the church, I sense this presence of the older brother. It's, it's, a, it's a spirit of bitterness. It's a spirit of jealousy. And it's not, it's not attractive. You know, if nowhere else in the church, we should be a place that celebrates one another and our wins and our opportunities and our situations and our circumstances. If nowhere else, this is the place we should be able to go, I am so pleased for you and not think me first. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, Paul writes, be kind with each other, tender-hearted, forgiving of one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You see, the older brother was a blessed man, but he's acting like a bitter man. And that's your second one. The old man, the young man, sorry, the older brother is a blessed man, but he's acting like a bitter man. He's acting like a bitter man. And thirdly, the older brother was a sinner who thought he was a saint. And now what I mean by that is he sees himself a certain way, but he doesn't understand the truth of where he sits. And there are a lot of people like that in our world. I know I, I, I move into this place. I'm, I'm a saint because I'm a son of Jesus. Here's my theology here. We are, we are sinners because we fall short of the glory of God, and we are saints because we are sons and daughters of the King. However, how do we see ourselves is really important. There are a lot of people who look at what the older brother says, and they say, the older brother said, Dad, I didn't disobey you. Dad, I did, I've never disobeyed you, the older brother said. It's in the Scriptures. Hands up who can say they've never disobeyed their parents. None of us. So, so there's no way, I don't believe there's anyone ever who's disobeyed their parents in some way, shape or form. Yet he's saying, look at me, I've never disobeyed you, Dad. Come on. Who could honestly say that? So why would Jesus tell this story? Why would he tell the story about the young son, the older son, he tells the story because he wants all of us to know his love for everyone. He tells this story because he, want everyone, he wants us all to know that Jesus welcomes everyone. He welcomes sinners. Jesus is telling the story, the three stories back to back to back because the, the Pharisees are asking him, well, what, what are you doing hanging around with sinners? What are you doing eating with them? Why would you do that? That's why Jesus tells those three stories because he wants to say, I don't see the sin. I don't see where they're from. I don't see what they do. I don't see what they, I see who they are. And I want you to do the same. Jesus says, let me tell you some stories. You're right, I do welcome sinners. You're right, I do eat with them. You're right, I do run with them. I run out to the village to greet them. I go wherever they're at. I plead with them to come back to me. That's what Jesus says. That, look at his life. He goes everywhere and, and tells the stories of God. You're right. That's exactly what I do. He says, I'm in passionate pursuit of people. Jesus says. Grab that phrase because you're going to hear that a lot soon. I'm in passionate pursuit of people, Jesus says. I want to go after people. I'm going after people. He says to them, you're right. I am all about sinners. Because in the words of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of God came to seek and save those who are lost. You know what? He's saying that to us. 
Would you be passionate about him? And would you be passionate about the things that he's passionate about? In the words um, of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus came into this world to save everyone. His whole ministry is about reaching people from every tribe and every nation and every language and every, every area with the saving message of God. He's a saviour for everyone. And he wants us to reflect him in this world. So maybe you've been a member at Humeridge your whole life, but only now you're starting to understand and starting to beginning to understand the heart of God in this area. Or maybe you've always known it. There's been incredible teaching over the years about, about this holiday. You've always known it. But maybe in this moment, he's reassuring, reaffirming that for you. Or maybe you've not been part of this church at all and this is a new teaching for you. Wherever you're at, I don't want you to switch off because many of us go, I've heard those three parables preached many times. And you've probably heard them preached far better than, than I would ever preach them. It's not about how often you've heard it. It's about what new revelation are you letting God to bring to you and through you. And this morning, I really feel like God wants to say to us, will you come with an attitude like the Father? Will you know God in the same way that the son experienced God's love, the young son experienced God's love? You see, God is now pleading for you and me and this world to come home, to run to him. And many of us have spent too long living in the distant country. And it's time to come home. It's time to come home. I've been lost many times in my life. Even as a Christian, I've been spiritually lost in times. There's been times I would say I'm a follower of Jesus, but, but I know that I've moved away from him. Situations, circumstances, decisions I've made, relationships I've been in, people that I've hung around. And I, and I, and I know that I've moved away. I know that I've moved away, I've become distant from him. And Jesus is saying, it's time to come home. Maybe you've... Put work before God. Maybe you're caught up in your own wants and your own earthly desires to such a point that you've moved away from God. Maybe you've been too busy for God. And you just, I just, I just can't fit reading the Bible or praying or gathering together in a life group or coming every Sunday to church. I can't fit that into my life at the moment. I've got so much other things on the go. Maybe we've become more me-focused or it's my way. And God's just saying, come home. God's saying, come home. He's, he's standing looking into the distance. And he's looking into your eyes and my eyes and he's saying, come home. He's saying, come home, it's time. It's time to come home. And he's saying to the people that we have a relationship with in our, in our lives, it's time for them to come home too. And I want you to help me to bring them home. My prayer is make me the person, God, that you created me to be. You've never stopped loving me. Now I want to never stop following you. The worship team... Come up and join us. You see, God's been running after you and I right through all of creation, right through all of eternity. And now it's time for us to run after him. Now it's time for us to go running after him, to be about the things that he's about and not get so caught up in the things that I'm about that, God, will you come and, I've said this, God, will you come and bless what I'm doing? And God says, well, yeah, I can. But how about you get be a part of what I'm doing? What a different way. God, will you show me what you're doing and help me to be a part of that? How cool is that prayer? That's the prayer of a prodigal son. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Now I'll be in passionate pursuit of you. So many here have found God in this place. Like Adam and Eve, maybe you've been lost and 
God's been looking for you and you've responded. Even just over these last couple of weeks at our um, Christianity Explained workshop, which is an amazing course workshop that um, Bob and Denise and, and Neil run. And it's just helping people to go on the journey of understanding the things of faith. And, and a young lady called Angela went on a journey of saying, there's something missing. I want to come home. And, and went on the journey of trying to understand who this God was. And she started to see that God loves her and that Jesus died for her. And she came to a point where she said, I want to come home to God. Jesus is real and I want to come home. And just these last couple of weeks, she's made a decision to ask Jesus into her life and she's becoming part of this church community. And I think that needs some encouragement and a round of applause. That's, that's kind of a small part of what the, what the celebration in heaven was like. Can you imagine in heaven when that happened? You know, when, when and I'm not sure whether Bob or Denise prayed with her or however that, that happened. Can you, again, everyone's going, oh, look what's happening. And heaven stopped and they looked. As this, as this, during this Christianity Explained moment, when, when Angela prayed this prayer and asked Jesus, and it's like, heaven just went, whoa, yes. Another one home. Another one for Jesus. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. God is so incredibly happy when we find him, and he pours out his love. In verse 32, Jesus told them, We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He's lost, but now he's found. In this moment, wherever you're at in your faith journey, maybe it's time for you just to come home. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life and this is the first time you may have ever considered coming home to God. But he's saying, I died on the cross to set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Or maybe maybe you are a Christian, you've been on a journey, but you've moved away. You've moved away from him. You know, you know you've stepped away. You're not, you're not in that place he wants you to be. And he's saying, God's saying, come on home. Come on, come on home. All you need to do, like the prodigal, you don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to do your hair right. You don't have to fix yourself up before you come home. Just come as you are. Come as you are. And God says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to embrace you. And you are part of the family. And maybe that moment's now for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the way Jesus told back to back to back stories of the prodigal, stories of the lost sheep, stories of the, the lost coin the lost son. And God, I just pray for every single person in this room right now. Wherever we're at, you know our hearts. And in this quiet moment, as we're just sitting here, praying, speaking to our loving God, you might just in your own heart, in your own moment, in your own time, it might be time for you to, to come home. He's been pursuing you. You know that, don't you? He's been going after you. Maybe it's time to respond. So in this quiet moment, I'm going to pray. And uh, I'd encourage you just within your heart, in the quietness of your heart, you might want to pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross to set me free. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again, that I might have life and life abundantly. Thank you that your Holy Spirit comes, that I can live in personal relationship with you, that you're alive in me. But God, forgive me that I've tried to do things my way. And like the prodigal son, I'm coming home. 
receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. And I'm ready to be part of your family again, walking with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship at the end of the service. If, if you prayed that prayer and maybe you prayed that for the first time, or maybe you're rededicating who you are in him and bringing all of yourself to him, our, our team, our elders, our ministry team will be here. We'd love to pray with you. Just stand to your feet. We're going to continue to worship.